0: Next chapter 16, verse 26 this morning. Paul and Silas, two preachers of the gospel, are in prison. And the Bible says in verse 26, Suddenly there was a great earthquake. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake before, but there's nothing like the feeling of having everything around you shake. And things begin to fall and the prison begin to crumble. Look what it says. So that the foundations of the prison... They were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now, you have to understand the times. Back then, if a prisoner escaped, it was the prisoner's life or the... Keeper's life, so he knew if one man escaped, he was going to lose his life. He thought, I'll be better off taking my own life. He supposed that everyone had fled. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to think about that phrase this morning. What must I do to be saved? The most important question you'll ever ask is this one right here that this jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? And this morning, we don't need you to ask what must I do to be a member of this church. There's a more important question, and that's the question of your soul. Where will this spend eternity and verse 31 they responded they said believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved i'm going to ask Brother tony powell to lead us in prayer this morning as we come amen you may be seated having pastored for 21 years i've on several occasions had people come forward during the invitation and ask if they could become a member of this church or the church that i pastored in mexico or Argentina the first question that we ask is are you saved And several times I've seen the look of confusion on people's faces when I ask that question saved preacher what do you mean saved this is a biblical term everyone should know what biblical salvation is now religion has answered this question wrongly for centuries Religion shouldn't answer this question. God should answer this question. Now, when it comes to your soul, you don't want to be wrong on this. You want to make sure you're 100% right. And so God, in his love and mercy, gave us a book called the Bible. It's been inspired by God, preserved throughout the generations, and given to us in English so that we would know how we can get to heaven when we die. Now, this man asked, what must I do? And here's the problem. Man has made this answer very complicated. Paul didn't pull out a pen and say, I'm so glad you asked. Let me write out the list. Let's call the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church. And we'll make sure that you get everything right. And then you do your best to perform what's on this list. Now, many of you have tried that. Many people go through life frustrated because a church or denomination or religion has given them a set of rules to follow. And after about day two, we realize it's not happening. No one has kept that list of rules and maybe publicly, but privately, we all know. Maybe on Sunday, we can put on the suit and tie and appear to be good and fool those around us. But on Monday night, we can't even fool our own spouse. (laughs) On Tuesday, we fail to fool our own children. And everyone knows that we have faults and failures, and more importantly than that, God knows. And so he didn't give him a list of rules and regulations. But for the first time in his life, this man had lived, we don't know how many years, but thinking about a million other things, trying to fulfill his obligations, as a father, as a husband, as an employee, and had thought very little about his soul. But you know, when you have a near-death experience, suddenly you begin to think about life after this life. Now, there's been a time in the history of the world when you didn't exist. But after birth, there will never be another day in the history of this planet when you cease to exist because you have an eternal soul. And forever is something very difficult to comprehend. When we speak of a million, a million years, or 50 million years, it's hard to comprehend that in 50 million years, my soul will still be living in one of two places. Now, I know people talk about reincarnation and purgatory and so many other things, but let's talk about what God says. God says there are two destinations heaven or hell, and we will either, after death, go to heaven or go to hell. But this life is short. The Bible calls it a vapor that appeareth for just a little while and then vanisheth away. And even if God gives you 70 or 80 years on this planet, before you know it, life will be over and men should be prepared for what is next. Now, when we talk about saved and salvation, let's do this for just a few minutes this morning. I know you're hungry. I can see the looks on your faces. So I'm going to be short. But I want you, before you leave this morning, to see what the Bible has to say. And let's throw out any opinions. Let's throw out. You walked in a Baptist church this morning. But let's throw that out the window. Let's forget about what Adam Thompson thinks or believes. Let's see what God says about the subject of salvation. Now, when we're talking about salvation or being saved... Saved from what is the first question. We have firemen in this church and they have rescued people from fires, from drowning, from car accidents. And when God speaks about the salvation of our souls, what does he want to save us from? Turn with me to Matthew chapter one. If you have a Bible, if you don't, don't worry this morning. You can simply look up here on the screens and read the verse from off the screen. Matthew 1, 21 speaking of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. Look what it says in verse 21. She shall bring forth a son, and now she call his name Jesus. Now look at the next phrase. For he shall save his people from what? Their sins. Most of us understand that we are sinners. For the minute we're born on this planet, we're born with a sin nature. Regrettably, none of us like that. We're bent on doing that which is wrong. That's why teachers give out demerits. That's why parents become angry. That's why your mother said when you were young, I am sick and tired. How many of you ever heard those words? How many of you, when she got to sick, you said and tired? You knew that that mother was frustrated with your behavior and no matter how many times they said, straighten up. And there's just something inside of us that's rebellious. And when an authority, a teacher, a parent, a mother, father says, don't do that. Something inside of you says, I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> and I want you to know that I'm going to give it a shot. And I want you to know that I'm big enough to smile when I do give it a shot. And there's very little, you know, why is it that man has to break God's law because he has a sin nature. And God wants to save us from that sin, from the power of sin. And I'm thankful over the course of the past couple decades that I've seen God do that. I've seen God save alcoholics. Listen, there was no therapy. There was no counselor. There was no organization. There was no answer for that person. They were hopelessly bound by an addiction. But God, in his mercy, saved that person. When the Holy Spirit moved in, suddenly the desire to drink was gone. How do you explain that? That's God saving a man from the power of sin. I've had men come to me before. I had a sister bring her brother, a businessman, 40, 45 years of age, losing his business, his health, his family, everything in his life that was good and precious to him. He was losing it because of his addiction to alcohol. And suddenly, when he got born again, the family couldn't believe it. The daughters couldn't believe it. matter of fact, the wife said, let's give him a month or two and just wait and see. Well, 10 years later, he still hasn't had a drop of alcohol. You know why? God saved him from the power of sin. In Mexico, I remember uh, a young man that was a drug addict, 19 or 20 years of age. He got a gospel track. And when he was coming uh, down off a of high, he picked that up, read the track, repented of his sins, and got born again. He looked at the address on the back of that track and saw our church address. He came to church and began to talk to me. And Alfredo told me his story, and he said, I want to know what to do, what I should do next. And I put a Bible in his hand, I said, you need to grow now in the Lord. That was 15 years ago. Alfredo has never again, not one time, done drugs. Now, when everyone else is desperate, God never falls into desperation. God never says that person is hopeless because he knows that he has the power to break the bondage and the chains of sin. So when we talk about being saved, being saved from what? From sin. The power that sin has over us. Now I want you to see something else in Romans 6.23. It's not just the power of sin, but the condemnation of sin, the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of our sin is death. Just like you go to work, you put in a... Honest 40 hours, and at the end of that week or at the end of two weeks, they pay you for what you earned. Guess what? You put in an honest week of sin 40, 50, 60 hours of sin in every week, and you do that week after week after week. God says, I'm going to give you the wage of your sin. Now, no one looks pleased about that. <laughs> Because we all know that we have sinned, sinned consistently, constantly. And here's man in his pride. He just doesn't want to admit that. But we are sinners. There is a penalty. That condemnation is death and hell. Here's how Christ stated it in John chapter 3, verse 18. Now, here's what you don't want to do this morning. I know in the average church you go to in the United States of America, you don't even need to bring a Bible. But in this church, you don't want to hear Adam Thompson speak or tell you his stories or opinions. You want to hear from God. So we want to open up the Bible, see what God has to say about salvation. These are the very words of Christ in verse 18. He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is what? Condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there is condemnation that has come over man because of his sinful condition. That condemnation is death and hell. Not long back, I was talking to a man. And talking to him, trying to get him to the point where he could understand his need for Jesus Christ. Explaining sin, and during the course of our conversation... He was smoking a cigarette, blowing the smoke in my face and telling me about how perfect he was. So I thought I'll try a different tactic. And I said, uh, do you drink? And he said, oh, of course I do. And I said, you get drunk? And he said, of course I do. And I said, how often? And he said, on a regular basis. And I said, when you're drunk, do you ever hit anybody? And he said, of course I do. And I said, uh, is that? offensive to God he said well I don't ever have bad intentions when I do it I said "Boy, I'm gonna have to go a different direction here I said have you ever committed adultery and he confessed to adultery on repeated occasions but he said but it was once I had already left my wife so I don't think that's offensive to God either and I thought boy I just I can't get this person to understand you know what that's that's pride Where we look at ourselves and justify our actions. And I'll tell you what a wicked sin is. How many want to know what a wicked sin is? A wicked sin is the sin that someone else commits. Because you know your sin is not that bad. So if you've committed adultery, adultery is really not a bad thing. If you've committed fornication, if you've committed theft, if you've lied before those are all that was a white lie, and man knows how to justify himself before God, but God says I want to save you from your sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, that condemnation. Now it gets worse and we don't like this terminology, but as a preacher of the gospel, I've got to preach the whole counsel of God. Amen. So this morning, I got to tell you exactly what God says about the subject. Let's see what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Thessalonians, now this is a little more difficult book to find. So if you're struggling, just fake like you have it and look at the screen and you'll be fine. No one will know that you're struggling. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, in flaming fire. Hell is still a place of fire. It's still a place of eternal torment. It's still a place that God wants to save us from. Now, when God said, I want to save you, he said, I want to save you from sin. I want to save you from condemnation. I want to save you from a lake of fire. Isn't that a merciful God? So concerned about us that he says, despite your condition, despite your choices, Despite who you are and what you've done, I want to offer you eternal life. Now, look what it says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Now, I wish this wasn't in the Bible, and that way I wouldn't have to preach it. But I know it's in God's Word, so I know it has to be mentioned. God wants to save us from hell. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says, after death, there is a judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And here we see the judgment. Revelation 20 verse 12, I saw the dead. Every man that had ever lived... Now is dead, standing before God, the small and the great. That means whether they were paupers or priests or presidents, doesn't matter what kind of person they were, what kind of wealth they had obtained. Every man's in the same condition, naked before God, standing before the Almighty, and the books were opened. Now, here's the question. What are the books? Look at the last phrase. They were judged out of those things that were written in the books, according, what's it say? To their works. Now, let me ask you how good it is going to be to stand before God, a righteous, almighty, all knowing God that has every deed, thought, action, everything you've ever done in your lifetime written in a book. Wouldn't you like to see that book? Wouldn't you like to have someone else see that book? Wouldn't you like for that book to be given to your mother? I remember a few years ago, we were sitting at a restaurant and a story of something that had happened in our youth. I won't tell you about the prank that was played or the deed that was done, but there are seven of us siblings and one of those siblings slipped and told my mother what had happened. Her face slid down off her head. And onto the floor, steam started pouring out of her ears. And I looked at my brothers and sisters and said, there are some things that you never tell mom, ever. <laughs> now, worse than mom knowing is that God knows everything. And everything has been written in a book. And oh, we can look good in front of man. You know why I can look good as a preacher? Because you don't know everything that I've done in the past 42 years. You just see a man with his hair combed, his face shaved in a suit and tie on. And you say he's probably a decent man because he's the pastor of this church. Good. I'm so glad. So glad you think that. But we all know in our lives we have done things that were not pleasing to God. Those things are written in a book, and at the judgment every man will be judged according to the things that are written in those books according to their what? Their works. Now, what is the result of being judged by our works? Are we so foolish is the thing that an all-knowing God with everything written down will say, Look at you, you good, good person. We know everyone around will be shocked. The shame will be grievous. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. They were judged. It repeats the same phrase. How were those men judged? How will men be judged? Every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast where? Into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and this is what men don't like to hear. There is a literal lake of fire, and man in his sinful condition will be judged by his works and cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Now Jesus Christ himself spoke on the subject repeatedly. Most people like to avoid it, but you'll find the subject mentioned 300 times in the scripture. So God doesn't avoid the subject. Christ doesn't avoid the subject. The apostles in their writings didn't avoid the subject. Matter of fact, Christ told the story of the rich man that died and the Bible says, Luke chapter 16, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Now think about this man who had everything in his life. Comfortable. All of life's pleasures he had enjoyed. And he thought, I'm good, I'm fine. But he never prepared for death. In the moment his heart stopped beating, let me just say this this morning. You're only one heartbeat away from hell if you die in your sins. And he realized that. He woke up falling. Reaching out, trying to keep himself from falling. Utter darkness Suddenly, the flames of hell began to burn him, and he cried out. The Bible says he cried out and said, Have mercy on me, but there's only one problem. You have to cry out for mercy in this life, not after death, because in life, God will have mercy. Did you know if you cried out for mercy this morning, God would have mercy? It doesn't matter who you are, how good or how bad, how noble or how evil. God will have mercy. But if you wait and then you die uh, after death, there is no mercy. There is no chance to be saved once you've died in your sins. Look what it says in chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. What's the Bible saying? Simply all sinners what is their destiny they'll have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone you say now hold on for a second i thought god was a god of love and mercy and i thought that jesus christ came to save he did that's why he came knowing our condemnation knowing our condition knowing that we were headed for hell he said hold on i don't want that to happen Let me reverse that. Let me change that. Let me offer mankind a different option, eternal life. And Jesus Christ was so serious about the subject. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, 8. These are the very words of Christ. And he says, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, than having two hands or two feet, to be cast into, what's it say? Everlasting. A place where there is no escape, there is no door out, there is no way to leave because it is eternal torment. And what did Christ say? You're better off, if there's something keeping you out of heaven... If that's your pride, if that's a sin, if that's an addiction. No matter what it is, Christ said you're better off cutting that off, getting that eliminated from your life. Anything that's an obstacle, eliminate it because you don't want to end up in a devil's lake of fire. You want to end up after death in heaven with God. So when he talks about salvation, he's talking about being saved from sin, from the condemnation of sin, from the penalty of sin, which is hell. Now, here's what God wants to do. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Some of you did not read your Bibles this month, so I'm trying to help you out. I'm going to get you caught up. If you haven't read it this year, I'm going to help you out as well. First Timothy chapter 2. Once again, we want to know what God says about the matter of salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4, if someone would help me there. 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have, what's it say? All men. What does God want? All men to be saved. That's the Bible term. Saved. Saved from what? From sin, from hell. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is God's desire. Now, here's what God did. God, in love and mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the what? Savior. You know why Christ had to be the Savior? Because man cannot save himself. Years ago, I was swimming. I'm not a good swimmer. But if you put me in one end of the pool and no one's in my way, I can cross. I can flail. I'll leave about six inches of water in the bottom of that pool. But I will make my way to the other side. But if we were swimming in a large creek in jumping off a rope into the water. Well, when I got in, there was someone else that was swimming across, and we bumped into each other, but for them, it was not a problem. They kept on. For me, it was a problem. I went rock diving on the bottom of that river. Thank God there was someone there to pull me out, and that's what Christ wants to do for the sinner, he wants to grab him and pull him out of his sin and away from the lake of fire. Now look what it says in Acts chapter 4. Who's the only one that can do that? Let me tell you a secret this morning. Catholic Church can't do that for you. The Baptist Church can't do that for you. No preacher, no priest, no denomination. It doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian or Methodist, Mormon or Jehovah Witness. No church can guarantee you eternal life. Now, if you believe that just to be safe, I would just join every single one of those churches while you still have life and hopefully one of them right, but biblically that's not the case. God didn't send a church to save you. God sent his son Jesus Christ to shed his blood, die on the cross, and save you from your sin. Acts chapter 4, look what Peter said. Now you've got to understand he's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to people that were keeping the law. He was speaking to a very outwardly righteous people. And he said, there's a problem here. you still got to get born again. You've got to get saved. And he says in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven Given among men, whereby ye must be saved. If you go back to verse 10, you'll realize that speaking of Jesus Christ and outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. But what is man trying to do today? Trying to find salvation outside of Jesus Christ. How frustrating. I've got to go to church. You know church is frustrating when your salvation is dependent upon it. Because if you miss a Sunday, you're thinking, did I lose my salvation on that one? You know, if you think salvation is by baptism, what if you panic at the last moment, you reach up to grab yourself, those five fingers don't go under the water, and you get to the judgment seat, and God says, I'm sorry, you missed it by five fingers. (laughs) When I said baptism, I meant immersion, and I meant the whole body, and there was about three inches of your forehead that didn't make it underneath the water. You missed it. Aren't you glad that salvation doesn't depend upon any of those things? God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 4. That's the book right before Revelation. These are Christ's words. Not a denomination, not a preacher, but the Lord Jesus Christ, God speaking through the apostles, This is John the Beloved that wrote this under divine inspiration. 1 John 4, verse 14. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son, the Son, to be the Savior. So who's the Savior? God did not ordain baptism to be the Savior. God did not ordain the church or good works, but His Son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, the Savior, the Redeemer. Of the world, verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. Now, if you want God dwelling in you, you're going to have to go God's way and confess and believe and repent and accept Christ as your Savior. Man needs a Savior. How proud is it to think, I don't need a Savior. Here's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to be a pretty good husband and father and give it your best shot tell me about how perfect of a father you've been how perfect of a mate you've been how perfect of an employee you've been how perfect of a friend you have been none of us are perfect That's why we need a Savior, and that's reiterated. Now, I want you to see this in the Scripture. Look at how God uses this word, the terminology, saved in salvation, Ephesians 2.8. How are we saved, then, from sin, from condemnation, from hell? How are we saved? From the torment of the lake of fire, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are ye saved, through faith you're not going to find in Scripture. Now, why in the world would religions teach that for baptism are ye saved when that's not Scripture? Why would they tell you if you come join this church and you're faithful and you give, maybe, possibly, hopefully, you'll make it to heaven? That's not God's Word. God says it's by grace, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. How many understand that phrase? It's not of yourselves. That's God telling us. There's nothing you can do that will merit your entrance into heaven. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can you imagine the boasters in heaven if our salvation depended upon it? It's not by works, but by grace. Titus chapter 3. Now, why are we looking at so many scriptures, Pastor? Well, first of all, because we're in God's house, so we ought to be looking at God's book. And number two, men have contrary opinions. So let's not worry about what some man thinks. Let's worry about what God thinks, what God says. Here's what God says on the subject of being saved in salvation, Titus 3, 4, but after that the kindness and love of God, what's it say? Our Savior toward man appeared. So God in his mercy said, I'm going to send a Savior to save you from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, not by works of righteousness. So those of you that have been striving and trying so hard, I've got to work and gain entrance. You can't do it. You can't make it. If you make it today, you'll fail tomorrow. If you make it this week, you'll fail next week. If you make it this month, you'll fail next month. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he, there's that word again. What's it say? Who saved us? Jesus Christ. Saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't it amazing when the jailer asked Paul, Paul, what must I do to be saved? Don't you think Paul was a liar if salvation included baptism or church membership or good works? And Paul said, believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If it was something more, Paul just duped that guy and led him to hell. But there were no trickery taking place, it was the honest truth. He said, If if you believe, confess, repent, Christ already paid the price. I've traveled and preached in churches. And one of the favorite things that I hear when I walk into a hotel, pastors will tell me, when you get down rent your car, go to this place, they'll give me an address and I'll show up. You walk into the Holiday Inn Express and you go up to the counter and you pull out your card and they say, oh, sir, that's not necessary. You're going to Faith Baptist? Yes. That's already taken care of. That's paid in full. That's when you go, You know, you just slide the card back in like you're important. (laughs) Don't you like to hear those words? That's been paid for. Wouldn't it be nice to die having put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and hear the words, your sins are paid for. While others have to suffer the eternal destiny of hell and torment in the lake of fire, you can say, no, there was a day when I repented of my sin put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you and reads your name and sees it in the book of life, he'll say, Sean, James, John, your sins are paid for in full. You know what? When I go to heaven, I may be. I look like a pretty calm person, but when I go through the pearly gates, I may be doing a little Baptist dance. Say, Pastor, you don't have any rhythm. I bet I have rhythm in heaven. (laughs) Look what it says in Acts 2 21. So what is the bottom line? What do I need to do to be saved, to be rescued? To have eternal life? Acts 2 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever, that's us, that's anyone in this room, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's that promise again. The promise of salvation, being saved from death, condemnation, and hell is dependent upon us putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. These are not random texts, but Bible principles that you can find in every book in the New Testament. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Here's the promise again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So if a man is willing to admit his condition, now here's what I'm convinced of. When man truly understands his condition, he'll run to Christ. You know what keeps us? Here's what's amazing. To think about how many have gone to hell, to the lake of fire, simply because of pride, because someone refused to admit, my condition is sinful, and that comes with condemnation, I need to turn, repent, put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we think when we hear the word repentance that that's only for the prostitute or drug addict or the alcoholic. Uh, We think that's only for the most wicked and vile in society. But when I got saved, uh, I had never tasted alcohol, never smoked a cigarette, never committed fornication. I'd been to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and sometimes they took me to church on Monday night and Tuesday night. I could quote you verses out of the Bible. I had said my prayers every night. I had read this holy book. But you know what? Just like every other person on the planet, I wasn't repenting from an addiction, repenting from some awful wicked sin. I was repenting from who I was in my sinful condition and turning from even my good deeds because so many hold on to their good deeds thinking. I I was talking to a member of a very prominent Baptist church in this city. Matter of fact, I was painting the house with one of these church members years ago. As we talked to the deacon of that prominent Baptist church, I said, have you ever been saved? And You could tell by the look on his face he was clueless what I was talking about. He said, saved? And I thought in my heart, this man's been the deacon of a Baptist church. Doesn't even know what salvation is. How sad it would be to go to church and live a good life. But because of pride or because of ignorance, because... That person did not know what the Bible says about the subject of salvation. They didn't know the simplicity that was found in Christ. They didn't know that God, because he wants every man everywhere to be saved, has offered it and said, listen, there's, no, there's not a requirement list here. There's simple faith and repentance. And if a man is willing to say, I am a sinner, I am condemned, I am in need of a savior, he can have eternal life. Now, look what it says in 2 Corinthians. We're going to put our finger in two texts and be done. Acts 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Here's what happened. When Paul answered this question, this man did exactly what Paul said. Now, here's what happens at salvation. Salvation is instantaneous. When you ask Jesus to save you, he immediately forgives you of your sin. He moves in And the Bible says the same night that jailer took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Now you have to understand, this is a man that had participated in their beating, in their imprisonment. And now he's washing their bleeding backs. He takes them out. They baptize him, him and his house straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, now he takes them out of jail, brings them into his house, cooks a meal in the middle of the night feeds them, and the Bible says he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his heart. You know what salvation will do? It'll revolutionize your life. It'll change you. Now, if reading the Bible and understanding it seems impossible, if going to church is a task that's rather miserable, if talking about Jesus is something you just don't do, you're not saved. Because when you get saved, all of that changes. Many of you that have gotten born again, before you got saved, you never went to church. That was the last thing you wanted to do on Sunday. Matter of fact, you were thinking about going to the lake, popping the top of a bear, watching a football game. And when someone said, let's go to church, you said, are you crazy? It's football season. And then when that was done, it was fishing season. And when that was done, you always had an excuse because you never had a desire. Someone had to twist your arm, promise you something. Somehow they had to play with your mind to get you to show up for church because you had no desire to be there. And when you were there, you had one thought. Bless his heart. What a lousy preacher. I hope this ends soon Because I can't handle much more of this. This man is testing my patience. You know what will change that? Get born again. When you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you ought to do a test. There are fruits of righteousness. There are fruit you cannot produce. Man tries to produce that fruit, and it's as plastic as the things that are sitting on your living room table. Yeah, that dining room table has all that plat- You don't want to sink your teeth into that. And in this world can't sink their teeth in your fruit because there's no Christian fruit. There's no desire. There's no love for God. You need to get born again. And here's what Satan says. Satan says, I have no problem with you being here this morning. I have no problem with you dressing nice and showing up on time and even bringing a Bible and smiling and Enduring the past 30 minutes, bless your heart. You did your good deed. You made it through. Satan has no problem with that. Now here's what Satan will tell you. You know what? If that's all true, just wait till tomorrow. And the lie of Satan that's put so many in hell has been this lie. Maybe it is true. But don't get in a hurry. You're young. Come on. You might miss out on something. I thank God that I was saved young and missed out on something. Yes, sir. I'm so thankful I missed out on hangovers. I'm so thankful I missed out on drunk driving. I'm so thankful I missed out on sexual diseases. I'm so thankful that I missed out on the consequences of sin. And got saved at a young age. But here's what Satan will tell you. Just wait till tomorrow. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6. 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Why is today the day of salvation? Because if you've never been born again, today you are lost. Today. At this moment. And you have no guarantee of tomorrow. And God wants you to be saved today. You know why you ought to be saved today? Because you could die today. As a pastor, I don't know how many funerals I've preached, but the majority of those funerals have been people caught by surprise they didn't know the day of their death. We had a member this year getting in a car accident. And one moment he was with us and the next moment he was in heaven. We had a young man, 17 years of age, helped put up a church sign on Sunday. And on Monday, leaving school, a car jumped a curb and he hit that young man and put him right into eternity. 17 years of age. He had no idea. We had no idea. But as it is appointed unto man once to die, I thank God when I went to that hospital, held George's hand for the last time, looked him in the eyes and said, George, if you can understand what I'm saying, would you just confirm that you're saved, that you've accepted Christ, and that you're ready for death. Now I thank God He had been born again and breathed the word, yes, pastor, to me. But how sad to think that many, not outside the church, we're talking about those inside the church, have heard and bought a light and said, you know what, I'm just going to wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. Years ago, I was driving to a meeting, had a young man with me. In the course of our conversation, I realized he'd never been born again. I witnessed to Gregorio. We're on a dusty road headed to Ixmiquilpan, Mexico. Now, I know most of you don't have a clue where that's at. Just north of Mexico City. But on that road, about halfway there, he said, preacher, he said, I... I understand now I want to get saved. And I said, good. He said, no, I mean right now. I said, you mean right now, now? He said, absolutely. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, how about if you stop the car? Now, folks, if you've ever been to Mexico, you know most of those roads, you don't want to just stop the car. (laughs) So I drove for about a mile looking for a good place to stop. Couldn't find one, so we just stopped the car. I said, What do you want to do? He walked around the back of the car, got down on his hands and knees, and started praying. And said, God, I know my condition. I want to be saved. I want, I want you to come inside, forgive me my sin. Now, you know, the best thing you could do this morning, just stop the car. Life is flying by, and you keep saying, it. One day, someday, I'm going to make that decision. How about just make it today? Not complicated. You're not being asked to climb into the baptistry tank. You're not being asked to become a member of this church. You're not being asked to do any of those things because that's not Bible salvation. And yes, we go to churches. You can tell. And yes, we baptize as you can tell. But that's not salvation. God told us in his holy word what salvation is. It's simple faith, repentance, and acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him and him alone to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.